Blog Talk Radio. This is uh, Silvio Canto in Dallas, uh, Texas, on Monday, March the 22nd. As we like to do on Mondays, we'll be chatting with our friend uh, Bill Katz, the editor of Urgent Agenda. Lots to get into today, lots of things going on. The president over at the G7 meeting, uh, the debt limit negotiations, uh, talk of the 14th Amendment, all kinds of things going on. So let me say hello to our friend Bill Katz. How are you, Bill? Let me see. Hello, Bill. What's going on? Did I lose Bill somewhere in the? Did I lose Bill? Hello, Bill. No, I didn't lose Bill. Sorry, Bill. I think I saw what mm-hmm. I. I didn't turn you on. That's what happened. So oh, forgive okay. me for that. All right. Are we okay sorry now? Sorry about that. Yeah, you're great now. Yeah, I'm sorry. I didn't yes, turn your mic on, so right. I'm sorry. That's all right. Um, well, you asked how I was, and we are in New York. So I am in good shape until I go outside. Then I uh, have to be very watchful of two things. One, I have to be watchful of criminals and watchful Mm. of actually watching a crime and not intervening. Uh, Because if I intervene, I know that I will be charged with a crime. I mean, I'm referring, of course, to the case that has now become so famous across the nation of the ex-Marine who intervened while seeing people terrified on the subway and and brought the per, main per, the perpetrator to the floor and unfortunately the perpetrator died and now he's being charged with manslaughter and nobody wants to look at the at the fact that he was a hero i mean it's really right. a very twisted sense of of uh priorities here in new york no i agree i agree and and, and the mayor the mayor seems to be in the middle of all of this but i'm not sure he's happy where he's at because i I'm sure he's embarrassed by all the crime and all of that going on. And I don't get the feeling he's real happy with these judges, prosecutors, who keep putting people back in the streets either. Uh, That's right. I heard a statistic. Please correct me if I'm wrong. Maybe you've got the right number. But I heard a statistic that something like 300 people have committed some horrific number of crimes. It's the same 300 Uh, people all the time. Yes, they – did a study and found that I don't recall if the number was exactly 300, but I think it was in that category, commit most of the crimes. And then they go right back on the street. This man on the subway train who was terrifying uh, people leading to the ex-Marine to do what he was trained to do, which was intervene and, and protect people from danger. uh, This man had been arrested 42 times. Many of those occasions were for violent uh, criminal actions, and he was back on the street. Those are the people, the people who put him back on the street, who really are responsible for this tragedy on the train and responsible for his death, not the young Marine who, or ex-Marine who wanted to protect innocent people. But this right. is New York, 
And he is now, I mean, they, they rushed the charges through, obviously, because they were being dictated to by the New York racial establishment, uh, which says, this, you will do this, you will do this. This is how the first black mayor of New York, a very decent and fine man named David Dinkins, uh, began to fail. He could not, he could not get out from the th- under the thumb of the establishment. And they right. ordered him to do certain things, and a man who came to office hoping to be mayor of all the people simply became the black mayor. And it's a tragedy, and it's a tragedy for the African-American population as well. They don't benefit from any of this. No, they don't. In fact, they're the largest, uh, you know, the biggest crime problem in this country is black and black crime. Oh, yes. And they're, I mean, those communities are being devastated by by all of this, but I get the feeling, and I, I, I think you've told me before that you think the mayor is trying to do his best, and I get the feeling he is too. I, I, he cannot be happy with how things are turning out, but at the same time, he doesn't really have any support. The city council doesn't support him. Uh, the legislature doesn't support him, and I think there is a mayor and gov- uh, there's a governor in New York, Bill. Please remind me if it's an empty chair. Because yeah. she doesn't do anything for anybody, Bill. Well, no, Kathy Hochul. Well, she uh, she was re- uh, elected for a full term after taking over uh, when Andrew Cuomo uh, uh, resigned as as governor. Uh, she had been a lieutenant governor. And the way New York is, I mean, too many people just go to the polls. Whatever name is next to the letter D for Democrat, they just pull the lever. And that that's the problem we have here. We have voters who are indifferent to what is happening around them. They can't stand it, but it's still, when they go to the polls, they do what they've always done, just vote Democratic. We, we, like, we, we, we like in our part of the country to ridicule the South as being right. dumb, as being not, not quite up to our level, but the dumbest voters in, in, in America are New York voters. They, they just vote themselves into a problem every time and do nothing about it. Right. I, I think a close second would have to be the voters of L.A., but uh, yes. I guess that's uh, debatable because they seem to have the same problem. But, Bill, you know the history of the Democrat Party much better than me. There was a time when people probably voted automatically Democrat, but it was a totally different party. You didn't have these oh, crazy yes. prosecutors. So it was a much more conservative party, a more law and order type party, uh, probably closer to the private sector unions than they are today. And so, yes, they voted Democrat, but they got a better better result by voting Democrat 40, 50 years ago than they're getting today, Bill. Well, that's correct, and that's because the Democratic Party of that era believed itself to be part of the United States. I mean, they, they were a pro-national defense party. They were a pro-hardline uh, for the Soviet Union party, and they won election after election with those ideas. But in the late 1960s, the so-called 60s, uh, which have been wildly overrated in terms of any good they did, in the late 1960s, some of the so-called progressive Democrats who had been thrown out of the party in the 1940s began to come back, and they started to dominate the party, uh, which is why in 1972 they nominated a losing candidate named George McGovern. Uh, the, we were, the, we were, they, they bragged that they were going to make the party more democratic with a small d. Well, gosh darn, when I vote for a president, I want to know that that president or that presidential candidate has been vetted 
by the people who know him best, the people in the party, the people in the House of Congress uh, that he serves in, or if it's a governor, the people around him. I am not interested in the opinions of voters who see a guy for the first time on a stage with 16 other participants and think they know him. And that is one Mm -hmm. of the problems we have. You can say anything you want to about the days of machine politics, but one thing those machine politicians never did is they never went to a convention and nominated a jerk because they didn't dare. Politics was their business. And, uh, and what we have today, I, I don't know, there's just a sense of despair that we can't get out of this downward spiral. Uh, we had, we've had it before. We had it in the 1970s. Uh, and the, the person who came forward was Ronald Reagan. And thank goodness for Ronald Reagan. He basically saved our, our democracy by saving its spirit. Now we're in very much the same situation, and I don't see anybody on the horizon who equals Reagan. Right. No, I think you're right. I, I, I am very, uh, I'm, I'm really disappointed how, you know, how the country, the, how gloomy the country feels. But, you know, it, it, it is, it is where, where we are. It sort of takes you back to the summer of 79 and malaise. But at least, as you say, that that time back then, there was a Reagan. But maybe there is a Reagan. You got some some people like Tim Scott, who's running. Uh, I thought he gave an amazing uh, speech today. You've got DeSantis, who's running. Obviously, Donald Trump, who's running. I mean, any of the one of those three, maybe two of those three could potentially be a Reagan. Uh, But the country, I, I think the country really needs a leader. People underestimate when they talk about Reagan, they think Reagan was just a nice, amiable person. He was, but he was also a leader who made a lot of decisions. Very, very and that's much so. the part we're missing right now, Bill. Yes, and he also understood the country, and he loved the country. Uh, and you've got a Democratic Party today that makes it plain that it doesn't really respect its own country. I don't think that Roosevelt... Truman or Kennedy could get into the Democratic Party today. I certainly don't think that they could be presidential nominees, especially Kennedy, whose inaugural speech was a speech asserting American influence, asserting American power and American goodness. You'd never hear that from a Democrat today. I mean, you have a a president of the United States or we have a president of the United States who is impaired. I, I don't need a doctor's note to tell me that he's obviously impaired. He may get that three o'clock in the morning phone call that we always used to talk about where the country was in desperate trouble militarily. And I'm not so sure he'd know where he is. And we have as the the first runner up in this uh, uh, in this contest, Kamala Harris, who has had had four had had a half a term so far to to demonstrate her abilities and hasn't demonstrated her abilities. And uh, I, I don't think that that people who. Talk about replacing her on the ticket in 2024 are being realistic because the Democratic Party is today a party of um, of identity politics, and she is a woman of color. And if she wants to be on that ticket, she'll be on the ticket. Yeah, I just thought you mentioned uh, the vice president being a woman of color. Well, so is Senator Scott. He's a man of color, of course. But Tim if Scott. you listen to their messages, it's like night and day, Bill. The message oh, of yes. Of the vice president is what a terrible country. Everything is racism, and everything is it's either everything is either racism, or abortion with the vice president. You you, oh, you listen to Senator Scott and what a hopeful message he brought out his mom, 
You know, what a great message. Uh, you know, Bill, I have to tell you, I think all of us have known people like that in our lives. I have known people like that who were influenced by their mother. So he relates to me. I mean, or I relate to Senator Scott, even though we have totally different origins, uh, Bill. Yes, well, that's the point. He is a man who, who has universal appeal because he is a person who worked his way up in a country whose intellectuals kept telling him that he had no chance of ever getting anywhere because of his race. He refused to listen to them. And uh, he, on his own, very much on his own, worked his way to the top of South Carolina politics by having a message that was so admired and being a man who was so admired. I, I think you're right about Scott. He may be the one person on that stage in the Republican debates who will stand out and where people will say, maybe we ought to give this guy a chance. And that, that could happen. Miracles have happened. We forget right. that in the year 1980, a good part of the Republican Party was against nominating Reagan. They were mm-hmm. afraid of him. They had, they had bought into this nonsense that he was just an airhead and a warmonger. Well, he was neither. And uh, they later came on board. But, but during the course of the Republican convention of 1980, when it was obvious that Reagan was going to get the nomination, many in the party establishment wanted to force him to take former President Ford as his vice presidential candidate, and then the ticket could be sold as a co-presidency. Well, he wanted none of that, and correctly so. Right. And, uh, and he won on his own, and, and the rest, as they say, is history. But I, I think he was the right man in the right place at the right time. Right. Well, I'm hoping that we have somebody like that. We, we've been able to have people like that throughout history. So I'm hoping that history uh, repeats itself. By the way, another person who didn't want to do that co-presidency was President Ford. He didn't think that was a good idea yes. either. And uh, as it turned out, he's the one who recommended, or at least from reading his biography, he's the one who recommended uh, George Bush. But I love Scott. I love his message. And it's such a yes. contrast to, to what you're hearing from the, from the Democrat Party. It's a party of nothing but race. Now they're going, the NAACP is now warning black people about Florida, saying, get out yes, of Florida. So. You know, And I, I'm sitting there saying, well... I think you're a bit too late because there's a lot of them moving into Florida, Bill. That's exactly right. And that, that was the point that Governor DeSantis made when he rejected that ridiculous notion. The NAACP is an organization of the past. It used to be an important civil rights group. Today, it, it's really just an employment agency for people who want to work uh, in civil rights. It has no great influence. I don't think one African-American will be affected by their warning. As you say, people are flocking to Florida. And the governor has made it clear that people of all races are welcome, and they seem to be awfully happy there. Um, NAACP, I mean, at one time was a civil rights organization at a time when it was necessary. I think uh, wasn't the first member of the Supreme Court uh, uh, justice, uh, I can't think of his name right now, wasn't he president of the NAACP? I think he was their general counsel. Oh, okay. No, but that's no, the kind of men that used to be there. Yeah, I can't think of his well, name right now either. But I'll, I'll, I'll look it up. Yeah, but that was, that's the kind of man and thinking that used to be in the NAACP right now. Yes. Uh, what the organization, you know, what I see, is that they're nothing but a bunch of race hustlers. And they're looking at the racial issue. And, and, and something that Tim Scott said today or Senator Scott said today that really hit me 
is the progress that has been made. When you listen to uh, the the Democrats, you get the feeling that we're still living in 1949 Mississippi, Bill. Well, that's right. That's right. Uh, the name we're looking for is Thurgood Marshall. Yes, there it is, Marshall, yeah. Yeah, and, and he was uh, the first uh, director counsel of the Legal Defense Fund, which became the legal arm of the Civil Rights Movement. Uh, and he, I, the NAACP used to be just a respected organization. They were often treated badly, but they refused to give up their belief in the United States. You know, as they would say, we have a constitution. We want to be part of it. And they, they acted, I thought, brilliantly. Uh, I think they honored the right people. Today, as you say, there's a whole race industry in America. And ironically, the race industry is based on the idea that African-Americans cannot make any progress. And so people who work in the race industry will have a lifetime job, you know, fighting for the rights of others and hoping they never get them. But I I think that the, the, the country racially is in a very bad situation today. I was looking this morning, in fact, uh, I, I ran it at Urgent Agenda, about the deterioration of the Black Lives Matter movement, mm-hmm. which, who's, yes. uh, which is receiving dramatically less in contributions than it did just last year and the year before. I think people are onto it, that it is something of a scam. Uh, and it, I don't, don't know of any African American who's actually been helped by it who isn't one of their officers. Uh, and, right. you know, this, this is an organization that put out a manifesto that was militantly anti-American. It was anti-Semitic. Uh, it was just an embarrassment. And yet nobody in the press points that out. I have not seen one place where the manifesto of Black Lives Matter has even been published. I want to mm-hmm. know what it says. I think I have a right to know. But one of the reasons we're in the position we're in today is the mediocrity of the American press. They just are not doing the job. That's right. Well, you know, it's interesting because there was never a a discussion about what was in that manifesto. They were never confronted. But also the other people who were never who had was never explained to uh, what was in that manifesto were the shareholders of these companies who send millions of dollars. to. (laughs) I mean, companies send millions of dollars to Black Lives Matter. And the shareholders were never told, hey, we're going to contribute this money because of this. No, it was just Black Lives Matter, therefore we have to give them millions. And and that turned out to be a real scam, as, as I think we're learning more and more, Bill. Oh, absolutely. And and these co- some of these companies are still going woke. They feel there's something in it for them. Maybe there is. I see Disney has taken on Governor DeSantis in Florida, mm-hmm. and Governor DeSantis's <laughs> uh, campaign against the uh, kind of movies that Disney is making, and they may very well beat them uh, in some court case. But uh, the, the, the whole tone of civil rights has changed. Uh, the, at one time, it was a movement for equality. It was understood that, that there was excellence in the black community that wasn't being recognized. Today, it's about reparations. And, and you have a, a growing anger. You've seen the statistics that the overwhelming majority of Americans do not favor reparations. And I think that if reparations ever went through, it would be one of the worst things to happen to African Americans because the resentments could be, would be so big. As one person from California said, he, he said, my people came here long after slavery ended. I'm not responsible for slavery. And the reparations would be going to people who've never been enslaved. And he said, what, what, of what value is that? And he's right. So we're, right. we're, we're, in, we're, in a, we're in a tough spot racially. 
And, and well, that's the other, other thing case, too. Where, yeah. Go ahead. No, go ahead. Go ahead and finish because I was going to say something uh, no, about. I, I, I was going to say go that's ahead. another place where Tim Scott can be of such value in straightening this out. Yes. He could be in explaining it uh, correctly. But the real problem, I think, with respect to reparations is the governor of California who put oh, himself yeah. in a situation where <laughs> he was like saying, hey, just send me the check and I'll sign it. And then yeah. a couple of things happened. It, he has a $32 billion deficit that he's going to have to make up somehow. And then on top of that, uh, I, I think reparations is a lot more expensive than anybody was planning for. So – but, you know, if anybody deserves that, it's the governor of California because he's he was a real demagogue on this issue, Bill. I mean, oh, he yeah. was out there telling people, you know, you're entitled to this, entitled to that. And, you know, I, I wish he would go down to San Francisco and explain that to the Asian community, that somehow they're supposed to pay reparations. You know, nobody can accuse them of white supremacy. I wish he would no. explain that to the, you know, the people from India and Pakistan who are so important uh, to the California economy. I don't think they are white people, Bill, the last time I checked. That's correct. And and let him explain it to, to the people in California, the African Americans, who were never enslaved. Are they are they going to be required to, to contribute to the reparations fund? I don't think there's going to be a reparations fund. Because no, I, I think don't think the result so either. Of it, I, I think the result of it, if it ever happened, would be a mass exodus of people out of either the state or city or, or uh, that that was involved. They are, they are now talking about beginning reparations at the local level because they know that they can control whole cities and their treasuries. But even there, I think the local politicians are going to say, "You can't do this. You just can't do it." And um, I, we're in for a very interesting political time in America. Yeah. Well, they don't have the money. That's, that's their biggest problem. Yeah. Uh, you know, they, they don't have the money because. The state doesn't have it, and those local communities don't have it either. So, they've run into, uh, uh, you know, they've run into a money problem, which uh, sometimes happens to people who make too many promises. Bill, as my yes. my late father used to say, "Don't promise what you cannot." I mean, my dad would always say, "Don't promise any more than uh, you can sign the check for." <laughs> that's exactly would, right. Well, that's what they did. did. <laughs> they they declared themselves to be sanctuary cities. And right. now they're finding out what, that, what it means. You know, I mean, here in New York, it's, it's become an outrageous situation. The, yes. the mayor wants to do the right thing, but they've run out of space. They have run out of luxury hotel rooms, which were going <laughs> to these people. Uh, and, and now they, they wanted to use the gymnasiums of schools. And there was this big outcry, mostly, by the way, among African-Americans. Who the mothers were marching, the black mothers were marching, saying, "Our children need these gymnasiums." So that went, that that went, and, and now all kinds of ideas are coming up as to where they can put these people. They're, and they are talking now about putting them in the suburbs. Well, uh, the Democratic Party depends on that suburban vote to get elected. I, I, I have a feeling uh, that they're not going to allow it. But we have a real problem in New York. We don't have the housing. For, to be a sanctuary city, and it's interesting. I haven't seen one action in the city council to re, to renounce the idea that New York is a sanctuary city, because the city council in New York is slightly to the left of Joe Stalin. I mean, right. they they I think right. they regarded Stalin as as a little soft on. Uh, yeah, uh, they I thought Stalin capital. was too much to the center. Yeah, they thought yeah. Stalin was too much to the center, and they got a. 
they they they've got to change that. But it's such a it's so ridiculous uh, for two two reasons, Bill. Number one, having come to the United States as an immigrant many many years ago with my parents, uh, there was one hotel that we stayed at, uh, and that's uh, upon landing in Miami, we did stay at a hotel, and that was because, and that was paid for by my two uncles <laughs> who provided yes. the money so we could stay at this hotel there in Miami. The idea that the the people of the United States were going to provide us with a first-class hotel, that idea never crossed my parents' mind. I mean, it was not no. something that, that anybody expected. I mean, and the other thing that makes me laugh, Bill, is all those times that we heard about, you know, the, the people who opposed sanctuary cities, uh, and and we were called racist and everything else oh, yeah. under the sun, and the opposition to sanctuary cities was because you know we we wanted to know who was in the city, and we wanted to protect the citizens, even the the undocumented, from criminals. That was the whole point behind it. Uh, yes. It was not to to have busloads of people show up at your city. I mean that's not really a sanctuary city either, Bill. No, uh, the the whole idea of sanctuary cities, you just have this, this image of the city council meeting all these people with Berkeley degrees, you know, and uh, all, were all, all involved in public interest law and uh, in um, uh, stop the war in Vietnam uh, because the North Vietnamese really aren't communists. I mean, they, 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 it's that kind of thing that's in their past and believing themselves to be far superior to their own constituents. And so right. they, they were going to do the right thing, declare San Fran a sanctuary city, and they have, they have a weak newspaper called the San Francisco Chronicle that doesn't seem to understand what's happening. The press in California is awful. It really is. Right. It's almost as bad as the school boards. But uh, Yes, the, and, and the, the mere fact that they never – I mean, one of the reasons we got Kamala Harris the way we did is because she was never challenged. That's when right. she was coming up the ranks, and so many people and politicians, even this fellow Schiff, you know, these people are never challenged with some of the things that they say. And part of that, of course, unfortunately, is the the the, the media in uh, in uh, that you know down there. We're going to take a little break, Bill. When we come back, uh, we got a lot to get into, a lot more to touch on with our friend Bill Katz. Silvio Canto in Dallas, uh, Texas, doing our weekly chat with our friend uh, Bill Katz, the editor of Urgent Agenda. A couple of stories I want to get into in this segment, uh, Bill. Uh, the, the first one, of course, is the Durham report that came out a week ago, just as we were talking a week ago it came out. A week has gone by. Uh, you know, it's not getting probably, the, at least in the media, not getting the attention that it should, although I do think it is becoming an issue in front of the House, and I do think it'll be a political issue in twenty in twenty twenty four. But the whole idea, Bill, that you could have the FBI investigate a campaign based on a document that turned out to be false, and not just false, but paid for 
by the other campaign. And the whole idea that this could happen and a candidate candidate for president could be, you know, attacked like this and a president could be attacked like this. That Every American should be outraged about that. I, I, I don't understand how people can say, well, this is a do-nothing report. I don't think that's the way it is, Bill. No, I, I, I don't think it, I think it's a devastating report because what it portrays is the breakdown of some of the most important institutions in the United States. What it did not deal with, because it was not part of its mandate, was the breakdown of the press. I mean, the fact that the press went along with this and did not have any suspicion that something was wrong, I think really does confirm our view of the press, that it has become a weak, immoral institution that is probably doing more harm than good. Well, when you look at some of the responses from the press, um, it's almost like we have two. Pl- we live in two planets, Bill. Uh, one in one planet, it's not an issue, and in the other planet, it is an issue. Uh, but for me, it is an issue simply because I, I believe very much that what separates the United States from the third world is, in fact, the rule of law. That you know, having grown up in in other countries and knowing how justice could be politicized for one side or the other uh, that scares me when i see the fbi doing something like this and i do think something's going to happen my theory is that durham will go in front of the house i think the house will continue to investigate they will probably have more people show up and i believe that if trump is the candidate even if desantis is the candidate i think this is going to be a big issue the whole idea that you got to clean up the fbi bill Oh, yeah. Well, I think that if brought to the public correctly, uh, it will be a big issue. Uh, The uh, Democrats are trying to bury it, and they have, sadly, as we've just uh, implied, they have the mainstream media on their side. A lot of the comments on the mainstream media uh, uh, were, oh, this is, as you said, this is nothing. This is really nothing. He's not adding anything. Uh, It's nonsense. Let's just move on, which seems to be the slogan of the young generation. Let's just move on. And that one time it would have been the Democratic Party that would have been in an uproar over this kind of corruption of our major institutions. But not anymore. It's it's you know, if it it helps us win, who cares? And we, we are. And I think it's one of these things that people may not articulate it, but I think it is part of the things that is of the group of issues that is leading to American sadness, to the sadness about the country. People may not be able to articulate it, but it's it's just the feeling that things have broken down that should never have broken down and are wondering if there's any real route back. Well, one thing that worries me when I, you know, when I saw the report, um, at the very first meeting that they had about this, a certain President Obama, a certain Vice President Biden, and a certain attorney general, I can't remember her name right now, all three of them were, were there. Now, the attorney general apparently was by, uh, by phone, but still, they knew at, at that very first meeting uh, I, I think what it was, was Loretta being Lynch. planned. Loretta Lynch, yeah. They yeah. all knew what was being planned, or exactly. at least what they were talking about. And exactly. the idea that no one said, don't dare do that. Are you stupid? Are you crazy? How can you do that? Nobody said that, Bill. Either Absolutely. I mean, I have a theory, and my theory is that they thought Hillary Clinton would win, and none of this would ever come out, Bill. Uh, I think that's probably true. 
And I think that, you know, after all, uh, uh, Barack Obama's background was in machine uh, Chicago politics. Uh, Joe Biden uh, was basically uh, an institution in the state of Delaware who, on a senator's salary, was able to build one of the biggest mansions in Delaware, and nobody ever asked any questions. Right. So, you, 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 as far as Loretta Lynch, the attorney general, I mean, I, I think she was just a, you know, an, an identity appointment who, who did what she was told. Uh, we have, I, I mean, I, I see the situation today with Merrick Garland. I expected a lot better from Merrick Garland than we've gotten. I think he is acting too much like basically an inside guy. Yes. And it, it seems to me, Bill, that this would have been a great opportunity. You know, he keeps President Biden keeps talking about bringing the country together. This would have been a great opportunity for him to say, look, this is a terrible report and the FBI cannot do this. And he should take the initiative and in, in making sure it never happens again. I think this is a great opportunity that he missed because somebody needs to say that, Bill. And it would have been nice to have it's somebody exactly from right. their side say it. If that's exactly right. I think he had he come before a microphone and said, "I take this very seriously, um, uh, and I take the uh, the performance of the FBI very seriously." And I think he should have forced out the director of the FBI, even though the director said we've made a lot of changes that reflect mm -hmm. the, the shortcomings here. But I think you you need new blood at the FBI right now, and new blood at the Justice Department generally. Uh, and you need the kind of people who are above reproach and who will clean up what needs to be cleaned up. I, don't, I think there will be a little bit of publicity about the report, but it, it, they're going to try to bury it. I hope that uh, whoever the Republican candidate is encourages the Congress to do full investigations. You know, as a presidential candidate, I don't know if he, he would be that effective in, in using the Durham report, but the party and the Congress – and you implied this before, could be very effective. I think so, but here's the, you know, here's where it's amazing to me how elections have consequences. You know, we hear that slogan, election of consequences. If you had a 51-49 majority in the U.S. Senate, Republican majority, they would have joined forces with the House to do an investigation of this, just like the House is doing. And when you have both houses investigating it, it would have had a lot more more strength. So he, here you have an, another example of how elections, and most of these elections were decided by one or two points, the consequences that it has. Investigations that could have happened do not happen, Bill. That's right. That's right. Well, the, it's the majority on each committee uh, in the House and Senate who decide <clears throat> what investigations will be approved and financed. And uh, the, the Congress is bitterly divided by party. I mean, the partisanship is greater than I have ever seen. They, they don't seem to be representing the same country. And that, I think, is terribly sad. And the only person who can change that would be the president of the United States. And he shows no interest in changing it. He, he is a, historically a very partisan man. Yeah, he, he is. But, I mean, just out of curiosity... Did you think he was going to be that way? Uh, because that's not – if you look at his Senate years, I mean, he was a little flaky, but I don't think anybody would have thought that, that he was a, a flaming liberal or anything like that. I mean, they, 
Joe was kind of in the middle, you know, he he sort of went with the flow, but he was I I never expected him to be liberal like this or to be this going always to the left. I didn't expect that, Bill. I didn't expect it either, and I think the probable explanation is he, that he is under the thumb of the Obama wing of the party, and that they, in a way, really do control him. Uh, I mean, if they pulled the plug on his uh, 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 his renomination for the presidency, I think there could be real trouble in the Democratic Party, and it is possible he could be forced out. Uh, but he, he, in effect, works for them, and he it's, he's he's paying political protection money. Uh, because I cannot believe he he actually accepts some of the things he's saying. Now look look at that speech at Howard University. Oh, totally uh, awful! I mean, an awful speech that it's hard for me to. I mean, going back ten, fifteen, twenty years, I would have never expected a a president Joe Biden to give a speech like that because I just never thought he. That's really what he felt, Bill. I mean, I'm not no. saying he was a, a presidential type of candidate, but he never struck me as a bad person that uh, or somebody who would who would stoop to this level of demagoguery, Bill. He, you're absolutely right. What he should have done is given a Reagan-type speech uh, with uh, the modern version of the theme, It's Morning in America, you know, an, an inspirational speech, and tell, tell those graduates you have opportunities that your grandparents never dreamed of Go out and use those opportunities, and let's see what you can do, uh, and you will go far. But instead, it was this dreary speech that the country is controlled by white supremacists. It's our major problem, uh, and, and in effect implying that's what's really keeping you down. Well, there's not much hope in a speech like that. No, I'm still trying to meet some white supremacists, Bill. Yeah. I, <laughs> I mean, I keep hearing that the, you know, there's one in every street corner. And I don't run into them, Bill. Maybe I need to look a little deeper. Well, I, 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 this whole white supremacy thing is, I think, a scam. Where are these people? Of course. I mean, I'm sure there yeah. are. Look, I, I, I'm not yes. naive. I'm sure there are people out there who have those feelings. But I don't, you know, I don't think they would fill up the, you know, the, the, the bleachers in a small baseball stadium, Bill. I think you're right, uh, I, I, but it's getting to the point where I think pretty soon you'll be able to rent one, you know, for a party. You know, oh, right. I'm going to Winky. I was at Winky's party, and she had a genuine white supremacist. It was so fascinating. You know, I, I, I mean, remember back in the early '60s, we had the a, a similar situation where every um, hip socialite in New York, and there were some, wanted to have a. The, the black point of view represented. So they would go to Leonard Bernstein's house, and there was always uh, like a black panther there who was going to explain what black America was about. Uh, so we, 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 in a way, we've kind of had this before. But I, uh, there, are, there are white supremacists. There probably always will be. But they are nowhere near the force they used to be. I mean, they're just no. a pitiful bunch of nothings. No, that's it. And, and, and to, 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 to scare young people like that and to fill their heads with all this negativity is criminal in my opinion it's certainly not presidential i'll put it that way he should have what he should have done uh, in front of howard university is is give the speech that senator scott gave today that would have been much better for those young people bill oh, oh absolutely I, the more and more uh, that i the more that i think about it 
uh, Scott, he, you know, here we are talking about him. There are other people who've uh, mentioned their names for the presidency and who have been mentioned for the presidency, but I think there is a chance that he could ignite a spark. Uh, yeah. And the more we talk about him, uh, uh, he, he answers a lot of prayers for the Republican Party. And I think the first of which is, how do we get, how do we get Donald Trump uh, right. to, to be quiet and, and, and be gracious? I mean, I don't know what Trump can say about Scott, but, I, but he, he, may, he may, in his recklessness, say something completely unacceptable, whereby the party stalwarts can, can jump on him. Right. Well, I, 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 I believed all along, and before I, I had the chance to hear that speech today, I always thought he would have been a great vice president uh, candidate. I, I thought he was a, a perfect candidate to be vice president. But uh, we'll see. We'll see what happens to Trump and DeSantis. There could be an opening uh, for him uh, campaign. A couple of other points, Bill, I wanted to bring up. One is uh, the debt limit and all this talk about the 14th Amendment. Uh, the Wall Street Journal had a great editorial today basically giving – President Biden sort of like, like a 101 lesson on the 14th Amendment, uh, basically saying has, it has nothing to do with, with, with what he's talking about. The 14th Amendment, as I, as, as I understand the editorial correctly, it says that the United States cannot negate any debt. In other words, if the government creates a debt, it has to pay it. But it doesn't say anything about the debt limit or anything like that. Yeah, that's right. That's exactly right. Uh, look <clears> – <throat> We are deeply in debt as a country. Uh, a good part of the taxation that we pay each year goes to service that debt, which is a polite term for paying the interest. Uh, and it gets worse and worse as they spend more and more money. And my great fear is if they get serious about not spending that money, that they're going to take it out of the defense budget. And that could be a really scary moment for a country with so many international problems. But I don't see any real desire in Washington uh, to solve these problems, they're, they're just there is no leadership. Well, I have to, you know, I have to give a little credit to the speaker. I think he is trying, and at least for the time being, he's got the Republicans behind him, and uh, so they they don't have the votes uh, in the House, or they don't have the sixty votes in the Senate to do this clean debt limit uh, thing. So no. they're going to have to negotiate uh, somehow. They're going to have to negotiate but you know bill maybe you saw this article uh but over at powerline today they had a great article about default and how exactly it would work and the article basically said that there's a lot of hysteria about default because even if we cannot come to an agreement over this negotiation <laughs> what would happen next month is that we would still have money coming in because people are still yeah. going to pay taxes and then the money coming in would be more than enough to service whatever uh, obligations the country had from a debt standpoint. But uh, there's uh, one of the lines in in the, in the Powerline article was that maybe the we would still we would still service the debt, but the diversity consultants might have to wait a little bit for their salary bill. <laughs> yes, uh, yes, that's becoming a very big issue. The salaries being right. paid on college campuses to diversity. Where did they get yeah. their training? I mean, I mean, I don't recall any major in diversity. I mean, suddenly these people come forward and announce themselves as diversity consultants. 
Well, I, I, I think I may do that. I, I'm going to go out tomorrow and say, I have studied this all my life. I am a well-known <laughs> diversity consultant. Uh, and um, uh, I uh, and, and don't judge me. Don't judge me in any other way. I right. would need one hundred and eighty thousand dollars a year to look like a diversity consultant, right. which is in your interest. Right. And I'm ready to start tomorrow. That's and right. If you don't and hire you need me, my you're... services because if you don't have my hire me, then you're racist. You're a racist, absolutely. Well, it's yes. gotten that way. I mean, it really, it, it, we, we laugh, but that's exactly what's happening. No, that is what they do, and that's how they intimidate all these uh, college uh, administrators. One last point, Bill. The president was at the G7 meeting. Uh, I didn't follow everything that he said. Uh, he did do a press conference, which is a bit unusual. But, you know, I, I, am I the only one who thinks that these G7 meetings have sort of not much to accomplish, Bill? I think you probably are one of about – Three billion people who feel that way. Uh, th- th- I always like the moment when they do the picture, because right, all these right. the, all these chiefs of state are up there, and I don't know how they arrange the order. But um, Biden was in the second row. I mean, maybe we are being sent a message, you know. And, and in the first row are people I've never heard of. I mean, I've never heard of their countries. <laughs> right, right. But yes, they're they supposed these, to be the G seven, so it's got to be the top seven economies, right? And when you don't know yes. the, the country, then you have to begin to wonder if Biden went to the wrong meeting, Bill. Well, I, no, I think he went to the right <laughs> meeting. He's the one I think who invented or who, who he was told there were seven major economies, and he said, G7? That's how it got its name. Uh, that's how it got its name, yeah. <laughs> but, <laughs> but it used to be G20, if I recall, right? Well, I, there's another, I think that's another conference. I think that's the, oh, okay, uh, okay. That's the, that's the ones where they lowered the standards. <laughs> and if you can, and if you can show that you manufacture hot dogs, you're in the G20. Oh, okay, that's it. Because uh, another very funny picture out of the G7 was the Prime Minister of Canada, and somebody sitting next to him, listening to him, who looked like he wishes he was anywhere but next to Trudeau. Yeah, <laughs> one of these well, pictures. Yes. <laughs> yes. Where, you know, these people, I mean, look, it's probably a good vacation. I don't know if the spouses get to go, but it's a good convention, a good vacation to, to <laughs> yes. go to. Now, I don't know. I have to admit, I don't know about go. I mean, going to Hiroshima, Japan. I don't know. Maybe they've got good beaches. Maybe they've got good lakes. I don't know, Bill. Yes. Well, I don't know. But uh, but uh, uh, yes, and the food is good in, in at the G7. That's supposed to be very, very good food. Uh, and they talk for a while, and they 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 they, they bring their private girlfriends. Uh, some of the kind of the guys probably do, and they have a good time. But I don't know of anything that's ever come out of a G7 meeting of any value to us. And of course, when they sign the agreement, they all want to remind us that they are 100% committed to climate change. Absolutely. Oh, that's well. That's now the big thing. That they figure if they talk about climate change, it takes people's minds off the real issues, like the fact that they're going broke. Uh, but, but oh, you know what does it matter? What, so who cares if you broke? Uh, if the country, if the if the the world is on fire, <clears throat> and they'll bring in a teenager from the Netherlands or something to to reprimand them, and they'll say we are committed, we are thoroughly committed. Right. But there are serious differences between these countries uh, over, if not on the surface over Ukraine, 
they're not all cooperating uh, like they should under Ukraine. I mean, I still one of my concerns is that the United States is putting up a lot more than the other countries are putting up, Bill. That's right. And I'm talking relatively speaking. I'm I'm not talking. Obviously, the United States has a bigger economy. I understand that. But I'm talking relatively speaking. I don't think everybody's paying their fair share, as they like to say, Bill. I think you're absolutely correct. But that that was what uh, Trump was trying to do in his policies toward NATO to try to get them to pay their fair share. I think a few have coughed up some of the money, but I think it's a very, very hard thing to do. They, they know that in a way they have us, <laughs> that we will never abandon NATO despite what Trump said, because we need NATO uh, as much as NATO needs us. We need that, that buffer there to uh, uh, prevent a war that we would be involved in. Uh, but, you know, when it comes to a choice between coughing up the money and facing their own voters, the members of those countries, of the NATO countries and the others uh, in Europe, will, will always prefer the vote to uh, appease the voters because uh, appeasing the United States has no political value to them. Right. That's true. That's true. And I'm, I'm sure that the president of France was very happy to get the heck out of France and go to this meeting. Yes. <laughs> because that is a yes. mess, what he's going through uh, back there in, in France and everywhere else. They've got their own, their own problems. Well, Bill, as always, thank you so much uh, for your time today and for participating. It's always a lot of fun to hear from you. And uh, by the way, I didn't ask you about this. I wanted to ask you uh, before I forget. Robert F. Kennedy, Jr., uh, I don't know anything about him other than he has a fun and has a, obviously a famous name, but he's yes. up to twenty percent in the polls. Yeah, he began at twenty percent, and I suspect that was simply name recognition. Oh, that, okay, uh, right. you know that they they hear the name Kennedy, and there are some uh, robots around the country who will just vote for him. He's the son of uh, uh, Robert Kennedy, uh, of course, right? Uh, was assassinated in 1968, a senator from New York, attorney general, uh, brother of President Kennedy. And that, I think, is where the attention is coming from. I don't see anything he's saying that solves any problem. Uh, he, ha- he does have some interesting ideas, but some of his ideas are really in the crackpot realm. And he continues to go around saying that the CIA assassinated President Kennedy. Fella, if you've got the, a couple of names for me, I'll listen. But the CIA is, right. just, is just a name on a plaque. I want the names, and he he shouldn't be doing that. I'm not so sure that the party takes him seriously, but he could be a a, a burden uh, to uh, to uh, Biden if uh, other candidates get in. Well, look at McCarthy in '68. Remember how McCarthy, yes. you know, became a real problem for for LBJ. So you never know. Well, Bill, have a great week as always, and uh, we'll check uh, urgent agenda and keep up with a lot of events that you keep us up to date with. And have a great week. Thank you, Sylvia. Same to you. I look forward to our next meeting. All right. Thank you so much. Our good friend, uh, Bill Katz, the editor of Urgent Agenda. We call it the Week in Review. And uh, we like to review a lot of things that happened in the week and are coming up in this coming week. Thank you for listening. This is uh, Silvio Canto in Dallas.